This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Good Friday. I'm so thankful that you're here with us tonight. We had a great service earlier, and I'm so thankful to be able to share with you for a few moments. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 27, which tells the story of Jesus being crucified. To set the the stage for that, Jesus had his Passover meal with his disciples, and then he takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He's very upset with them because they can't stay awake, and and we often sometimes get a little little prideful, and well, well, Jesus wanted you, why couldn't you? It was 3 a.m. I mean, they were, it was way up in the night. The soldiers show up, led by Judas, to arrest him. He's taken into custody overnight and held. He's put on trial before religious leaders early in the morning, and they take him to the Roman governor, Pilate, because to, for them at this point, the, the, the plot has shifted. We want him to be executed, and we want the Romans to do it. And Pilate does everything he can to get them out of his hair. Even brings out one of the most well-known criminals named Barabbas, thinking that if he tempts them to, I'll, I'll release one of these people. They would certainly not choose Barabbas, but they do. The crowd has flipped on Jesus. The same crowd that heralded him as a king on Sunday, on Friday, is demanding that he be executed. So we're, we're begin tonight, we're, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor as we read the Word of God together. We're going to begin in verse 26. I'm going to read along as we see the words on the screens. Pilate had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and then they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. 
About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Limi, Sabathini, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. They filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Many women were there watching from a distance. They'd followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's son. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight as we look at this text that you will help us to see that the good news of Good Friday is good for us today. Help us to receive that, to receive the good news, put on display in one of the most brutal displays of love the world has ever seen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, for your benefit, what I want to do is to try to deal with the question, what really happened that Friday? We know the story. Jesus was crucified. What really happened? We call it Good Friday. And the reason we call it Good Friday it's not because what happened that day was good for Jesus. No, it was painful for Jesus. It was brutal for Jesus. We call it Good Friday because what happened on Friday was good for us. So today I'm going to give you four reasons why Good Friday is good news for us today. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. Jesus on the cross purchased our wholeness with his brokenness. He purchased our wholeness with his brokenness. There's a part of every person that's in here that is broken. And Jesus gave up his life, gave up his body to purchase for us wholeness. There's a lot contained in the very first verse that we looked at, verse 26. Look at this. Pilate had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. In an effort to appease the crowd, Pilate ordered for Jesus to be scourged. Now, what this meant, this was a very brutal punishment for criminals. 
he would have been stripped naked. He would have been taken into the middle of a public area where there would have been a, a huge post. They would have tied him to it with his back exposed. And then they would take uh, the Roman flagrum and they would use it to whip him. This, this brutal act, this, this very tailored instrument of destroying a body was used there. In this whip, there would be stones and metal pieces sewn into these leather straps. And when it hit flesh, it would dig into flesh and then they would pull it away. Many who were sentenced to a scourge would have died from it. And on that night, his body was brutalized for you. And we see what was purchased for us when he was brutalized in Isaiah 53. Look at this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. This is what's happening in that moment. The body of Jesus obliterated for what? For us. What's happening here? He was wounded for our trans. This is how we have transgressed the law of God. And God's saying he was wounded so that we can be forgiven. It's bruised for our iniquities. This is what happens in us as a result of our transgression. Our iniquity. He was bruised so that we can be healed and taken away from them. It's peace. It's healing of our body. I mean, if you understand the details of what happened to him, those whips would have left stripes on his back. And it's by his stripes we are healed. We say this a lot, but I want you to hear it tonight. We want you to get everything Jesus purchased for you on the cross. Everything that God, through his son Jesus, purchased for you, we want you to get it. Because it's already paid in full. If you're hurting, if you're sick, if you're grieving, if you've got something going on with your kids, if you've got something going on with your parents, I want you to hear this tonight. The cross matters. It matters today. Jesus was broken so that we can be made whole. That happened at Good Friday, and that's good news for you. Here's the second reason why it's a Good Friday is good for us. Jesus suffered the wrath of our sin. Jesus suffered under the wrath of our sin. Now, this is such good news. If you know the, the scene in the garden, Jesus prays, covered in, in what should be sweat, but we know that he was so stressed, so anxious that the capillaries in his sweat glands are bursting and it looks as if he's sweating blood. And he prays to God, let this cup pass from me. Now what he's referencing is a scripture in Isaiah that calls the wrath of God the cup of God. The cup of God's wrath. And he's saying, I know that this is coming, that sin is, 
deserves and will get punishment. And I know that what you've done, God, you sent me. Father, you sent me to die. And I'm going to experience the punishment for everybody else's sin. This is what you see taking shape in verse 45. Look at this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. See, I want you to see that something was happening in the land that the gospel writers only know how to describe by the physical appearance of what was happening. It went from being light to being dark. And then Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? What he's experiencing on the cross is the wrath of God for our sin. And this is good news. Because what was happening is God was punishing Jesus. And Jesus, as he received the punishment for our sin, that punishment is sufficient. That punishment is sufficient. What that means is God doesn't punish us. God doesn't punish us. Why? Because God has already reconciled sin. And some of us come to God thinking, God, I've been so bad, there's stuff in my past, and I know God is going to... No, listen, God does not punish us. He already punished Jesus. But God does discipline us. There's a difference. And parents, you need to understand this when you work with your kids. There's a difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is punitive, okay? It is, you caused pain, I want you to feel pain. Discipline is corrective and restorative. We want you to change your behavior. We want you to live a different way. We want you to have a different attitude. God is not in the business of punishing you. He already exacted all the punishment for sin that ever needed to be taken out on Jesus on the cross. But He does discipline us. So if you're that person that's thinking, but you don't understand my how bad is your past? It is not so bad that God can't forgive you. 1 John chapter 2. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. You might have done a lot of stuff, but you don't eclipse the sins of the whole world. And on the cross, this is good news. Jesus suffered under the wrath of our sin. Here's number three. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. This is one of the most profound textures of the story of Good Friday. How completely Jesus, by the time it's all said and done, was rejected. We know what rejection feels like. We felt that. We felt a friend reject us. Or maybe, maybe we've dealt with that in our family a little bit or at a, at a job. We, we've been there. We know that there's, it's painful. It's difficult. 
Look at what's happening later in the story. Verse 47. When some of those standing there, they heard this. They heard him just say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they say, he's calling Elijah. They're making fun of him. That's what's happening. Immediately, one of them got a sponge and they filled it with wine vinegar and put it on staff and offered it to Jesus. This is again, this is mocking him. Just a few minutes ago, the text records, they tried to do something like this and he rejected it. They're mocking him as he's suffering. And then they say, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. The same crowd that took off their coats and cut down branches and received him as a king, is they're, they're just mocking him. Judas sells him out. The crowd yells, crucify him. Peter, his closest confidant and one of his followers denies him vis visually. He can see it happening. Denies him three times. The other disciples run away for their lives. And his father in that moment, as sin is poured out on him, turns away. That's a loneliness we will never understand. It's an absolute void of relationship. And on the cross, Jesus was willfully rejected. Think about the last time you were rejected. What it felt like. The pain that came with it. Feeling misunderstood. Not feeling valued. Not feeling seen. Here's the truth of that night. Jesus was rejected for you. He was rejected for you. In Mark 12, Jesus quotes Psalm 118, and he says that the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He was talking about himself. And what he was saying is, listen, you're going to reject me, but eventually I'm going to become the cornerstone of what God is doing right now. This is what's happening. Now, the, the cornerstone in the structure was a pivotal, uh, like, architectural piece in that building. Take out the cornerstone, it falls apart. And Jesus was saying, listen, I'm going to be rejected. So that you will have a foundation to stand on so that you can be accepted by God. That's good news. That's why Good Friday is still good news to us today. And if nothing else that we could see in the story of what happened on Good Friday, I want you to see this number four, why it's still good news. Jesus died so that we could live. And I, I want to deal with that just for a second. Jesus physically died. Now, there are a lot of theories. They're not new, okay? A lot of theories going all the way back to the first century about what happened with the body or what could... Matthew goes to great detail to make sure that we know he was dead. Physically dead. His heart stopped beating. 
His body was obliterated. And we see a detail in verse 50. Look at this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. I want you to see, nobody took his life. He gave his life. God used Judas. God used the crowd. God used all of that to culminate in what he was willfully doing. He gave up his spirit. He, he chose to do it. Now, Jesus lived in a time where they would have called uh, the way that they operate with God the sacrificial system. The only way that you were right with God, that you could get access to the presence of God, that you could pray and be heard by God, was to stay up with your sacrifices. So every six months, they would take a journey, and they would go to the temple, and they would either bring something, or they would buy something when they got there, and they would kill it at church. I mean, and that, that's a very different church service, you know? They would kill it on the altar. And as it bled and died, the blood from that sacrifice would satisfy the wrath of God for a while. See, someone had to die for your sin. And Jesus chose to do it. He did not only die to pay the price for your sin. He died so that you could live. John 10, look at this. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest, which means the only way we're ever going to find the fullest version of life. And we all have ideas about what life should be. But y'all listen to me. If your idea comes into conflict with the way God tells us to live, you're wrong. Authentic life is only found in Jesus. Not found in me doing it my own way. Me coming up with my own plan. Jesus said, I came so that they could have life. This is the whole reason. I'm, I'm, I'm here to set them free so that they can really live and find the best life that they could ever possibly find. And that's why in John 14, Jesus says what I would account as the most provocative statement he ever made. Maybe the boldest statement in human history. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In a world where we say that you can get to God in a lot of different ways, Jesus said, if you believe that, you're wrong. The only way you get to the Father is through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father. From now on, you do know Him, and you have seen Him. Why? Because we saw Him through the Son. Jesus died so that you could live. That's good news. That's good news. So tonight, we're going to celebrate communion. You all should have your Handy dandy, as our staff likes to say, your TSA pre-approved communion elements. Tonight, if you feel broken, 
if you feel dead inside, if you're suffering, if you feel rejected, I want you to see this truth, that the body of Jesus was broken so that you can be whole. Good Friday is still good news. The Apostle Paul recounts the Last Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now notice what he says. This is my body, which is for you. The bread was broken. The bread was broken. If you were here on Wednesday, the, the matzah and the Passover, it was not left, it was broken throughout the meal. And it went from being the bread of affliction to becoming the bread of freedom when it was most broken. The body of Jesus was broken for you. But I want you to hear me. Not only was the body of Jesus broken for you, it was broken by you. It was your sin. We have to personalize this and understand it that way. It was my sin that broke his body. It was my sin that nailed him to a cross. It was my sin that required him to be strapped to that pole and whipped. It was my sin. So when we take the bread, you know, this, this is a little bit like matzah. It's kind of crunchy like a cracker. You, you feel what's happening when we allow sin to live in something. It breaks it. My sin broke the body of Jesus. With every might, we, we feel the tangible effects of what sin does. I always kind of want to lead us in this way, and I want you to, to be open to doing this for yourself. When we take the bread, we need to be willing to ask God, God, where am I letting sin live? Where is it? Is it in my ego? Is it in my, my marriage? Is it, is it in my job? Is, is it in my finances? Where am I letting sin live? Because in this moment, we, we're giving a tangible representation of what sin does to something that's good. It breaks it. And it should be a moment for us to come before God and say, God, search me, know me. Reveal to me all the things that are inside of me that are unpleasing to you. As we take the bread, let's take the bread together. Father God, we thank you that you are willing to send your son Jesus to die on our behalf. Jesus, you lived a life that we could not live. To die a death, we could never die. Your body was broken. And as it was broken, you purchased for us what we could never earn for ourselves. You were wounded for our transgressions. 
wounds. You were bruised for our iniquity. The punishment for our peace was placed upon you and it is by your stripes that we're healed. Help us in this moment to be sobered by the effects of sin. To come before you and ask, God, search me and know me. Show me if there's anything offensive inside of me. And give us the courage to respond in obedience when there is. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Take the cup. Continuing in 1 Corinthians, in the same way, after he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This should make a lot more sense if you were here on Wednesday. This is a new cup. This is a new promise. And this promise is secured in my blood. When we think of the good news of Good Friday, our relationship with God is secured because of what he did for us, not what we do for him. The blood poured out a new promise all for you so that you can be made right with God, so that you can have access to the presence of God, so that you can live with God. Jesus was willing to surrender his body became the sacrifice that atones for your sin and my sin, the perfect Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world for us. I love to remind you of this when we take the cup, as neat as you might be, we always leave some food particles behind. That's why we drink a little bit when we're eating. It washes it away. As good as you would be in your life, you can never clean yourself up and get rid of sin. It's the blood of Jesus that washes our sin away. And so as we take the cup, it's a, another tangible reminder of that this, this promise is not secured in, in, in my performance. It's secured in the blood of Jesus. I'm cleansed by that. Let's take the cup. Father, we thank you for the blood of your son poured out. Help us, God, to have the humility to recognize that we are not made right with you because of what we do. But that the message of Good Friday is we're right with you because of what Jesus did for us. We're not saved from you, from your wrath, from your punishment. We're saved to you, to relationship, to love. And it's the blood of Jesus that makes the way for that. God, thank you for the blood. Amen, amen. I want to make a point as I wrap up today. On the cross, 
the gospel writers go to a great deal of effort to make sure that we know that exactly what Jesus had said was going to happen, happened. When he said in the Passover meal, this is my body and my blood, these things that were together and in unity, right now we have that in our bodies. They are in my body and my blood are in unity. But Jesus said these are going to become broken and taken apart. So much so that when you look at one of the gospel writers, they draw this attention to a detail where there's a spear shoved in the side of Jesus and his blood has separated from water, from the fluid. But Jesus was prophetically showing us something at the Lord's Supper. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that's poured out for you. But think about what happened when they received those elements. They came back into unity inside. We see this even spoken of in, in Colossians chapter 1. Look at this. Now it's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. But for us, he comes alive inside of us. The body that was broken when we receive Christ comes alive. The life of Jesus comes alive inside of us. And there's a promise there that what's broken won't stay broken forever when it's surrendered to God. Think about that for your life today. What's broken in your life? Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. And you know that there's a brokenness there. You tried to fix it. You tried to do your best. Surrender it to God. Struggling with your kids. Surrender it to God. Struggling in your marriage. Surrender it to God. Maybe for you it's your life. It's how you're living. And you know that the way you're living is not the way that God wants you to live. And what you need to do is surrender it to God. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.